Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. This is a listener-generated episode today. In other words, a listener in the audience decided to send me a message, and attached was the video we're going to go over and some questions about it. And I decided, you know what? It's actually along the same lines of some other things I've been thinking about. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this on the on the uh, show. We're gonna go over it um, minute by minute. I don't know if we'll get through the whole thing, but at least. Um, I, I think, and I'll give you the reason why we're doing this and the, the subject matter, and then we'll do a few announcements and get into it. But the subject matter is Romans 13, submission to government, all that. Um, I want you to realize the context in which this was given. This was given last Friday. This is after the mandate that Biden put out there. This is this is in that context that this, this was made. And this is by someone who is a statesman. Uh, I believe in West Virginia, and he's speaking at a Bible college. And I'll be honest, I, from what I know, I, I respect this Bible college. It's one of the few that I feel very comfortable um, recommending. And so I, I don't, I debated whether I should even tell people where this is, because I, I don't, it's not to me a critique of the Bible college. Um, and it's it's not even a critique of this particular statesman. I think he's probably a great guy. Uh, in fact, his civics was amazing. I mean, I'm going I'm skipping through actually the first probably ten minutes of this message. Uh, this particular individual who's who's lecturing, he's well, he's giving the chapel message at a Bible college, gives a great crash course in, in civics. Talks about federalism and how we're not a democracy; we are a constitutional republic. Talks about checks and balances, and just it was great. It was awesome. Um, here's the thing, though. There's really there's two <laughs> there's two errors that I see commonly made when it comes to Romans 13 and approaching it. One's an application, one's an interpretation, broadly speaking. Uh, one is misunderstanding the nature of this the government that we live in, uh, the nature of federalism, uh, the the sovereignty of states, um, checks and balances, constitutional republic, uh, just. What, what is the Constitution? What does it mean? Negative rights, these kinds of things. The other is misunderstanding Scripture, which it, it, it is a bigger error in a way, and, and, um, and interpreting it in such a way that actually it, it doesn't make sense. You would actually render even some of the figures in the Old Testament as being in sin in some way if that interpretation were to, uh, to be the correct one. And so... Um, in this particular instance, what we're going to go over is someone who actually has the civics down, and which is actually rare, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of the sermons that I listen to, almost, I like to say almost all, there's a few that are good, but most of the sermons I've listened to on submission of Romans 13, the, the pastors giving the messages for whatever reason, and, and it could just be public education, I'm not sure, they just don't understand the type of government that we live in. And so they, 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 even if they can get the principles in Romans 13 right, they have a hard time applying it. This is a case where that's that's not true. This person actually understands uh, civics, but what they don't seem to understand is Romans thirteen, and they they make a number of statements that I thought, you know, these this is really good stuff to be able to be uh, to, to be prepared to answer because I think we're going to hear this more and more because there's let's just face it, what happened last year and what's happening this year, this is the beginning. We're going to have a number of situations that are similar. So let's be prepared for it. And this is the kind of logic we're going to have to understand how to navigate as we go forward. So that's the preface. We're going to go over it in a minute. few announcements, though, first. Number one, uh, I am speaking um, October 23rd at the Jesus and Politics, I guess it's a conference, um, at Syracuse Baptist Church, Jesus and Politics Conference, Battle Lines. And it is um, in Syracuse, Indiana. And that's October 23rd. And so um, I, I don't know if it's a summit or a conference. I, I think it's like a mini conference, something like that. But I'll be there. Uh, Indiana Congressman Kurt, um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, Kurt Nisley, uh, Pastor Joseph Spurgeon, Pastor Tim Bushong, Fort Wayne Councilman, so a local politician, Jason Arp, Pastor Jason Gingrich. And uh, we're going to be talking about, obviously, Jesus and politics. So I'm not sure what everyone else is talking about. I know there's some uh, going to be some talk about abortion and abolitionist bills, heartbeat bills, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to, I, I actually, I've been thinking about what, what do I want to talk about? Because <laughs> I obviously I, I'm asked to, to speak about social justice, but there's so many different avenues I can take. So still pondering that a little bit. I'm not sure exactly. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll just say this. I've been really thinking lately about, um, there's so much I want to do, but talking about the spiritual war we're in 
spiritual warfare. Um, I, I really just sense like strongly that we are in a light and dark demon and angels, right? Kind of battle. And I, 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 I felt a tug at my own heart to really study, to, to have the armor of God, to be prepared, um, that, that we're just, I, I just want to, I, I want to not just give critiques of things or just show you, here's the error. Uh, I, I want people to understand the significance of what's happening. And so I'm thinking about that, but uh, whatever it is, it'll be good and beneficial. So if you live near Syracuse, Indiana, come on out October 23rd. Um, also have a number of other speaking engagements coming up. And for those who I haven't gotten back to, um, there's some people who maybe a month, I, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, even probably a month ago, signed up and said, like, we want to have you come out, John, speak at our church. And I said it would take me a while to get to them. Uh, this is the week that I'm going to get to all that. Um, that's my plan, at least. I'm going to get to all that. We're going to schedule all that. And um, and there's so much. There's so much. It's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> there's just so much going on. In fact, this week, uh, the book Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict is supposed to pop up on Amazon. I'm not sure what day, but it's supposed to be this week. So I also need to get a bunch of material uh, together for that. In fact, there's so much going on between all of that and then um, working on my house every day, uh, which is more than a full-time job. Um, I'm, I may even cut short this week. I may not have as many podcasts. We'll see what I can get to, but um, a lot of positive things. Just wanted to say there's a lot of positive things uh, going on. Sorry if that's popping in the mic. I'm, I'm probably holding this a little too close. We'll, we'll uh, put it back there a little farther. So a lot of good things happening. Um, let's get to the main stuff, though. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Romans 13 stuff. And this is the video. And um, this is, you know, this I think is representative, though, of a lot of different um, pastors and messages. And so this, this could be anyone, right? So I don't, I don't want to focus on who it is or where it is. I just want to go over the content. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of cutting into the middle of the, the sermon here just because... Um, the beginning didn't really relate to the part that I wanted to uh, critique and that the questions I was getting. Whether we agree with them or not necessarily. You look at the Roman Empire, where Roman, where Paul wrote this letter, um, you know, the Roman Empire, all kinds of religious persecution there, right? I mean, Paul, Peter, most of the other disciples would eventually be martyred by the Roman Empire. It was a, it was a foreign dominated, it truly was an empire, imperialistic society. Um, you know, slaves outnumbered citizens. You know, in terms of respecting human rights, that wasn't exactly the model of, of government that we would probably choose. Yet, that is the government when Paul's writing this letter to the Romans. That's the government that he's referring to, and he's saying, be subject to that government. Um, what happens today in our society? We have a tendency around, I'm going to pick on the left and the right. This is if you remember, this is from Seattle uh, last summer. Chop. They called it Chaz for a while. All right, I'm going to stop there because I, I think he's moving on to another point that I wanted to talk about. So let's talk about this. Um, so what this speaker is saying is that the uh, Roman Empire is the context in which Romans was written, right? Obviously, I mean, it's literally to, to Christians in Rome. Therefore, uh, because the Roman Empire is oppressive and um, slavery obviously was a, a big part of the Roman Empire, then... Um, the God is obviously saying to submit to a terrible government, a tyrannical government, an evil government. And that was, that was the, uh, and, and this is the line, by the way, you're going to find a lot of places, um, even on, and, and I, I would say, um, maybe now, especially on the more anti-social justice side of things. It's, it's unusual. And I have a lot of ideas of why this is. I don't have time to get into all of them, but there's a kind of a pietist streak in the fundamentalist camp. Um, and it's, it, 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 and they tend to be more resistant to social justice, but they tend to really have this strong um, commitment to, um, to to what they perceive as legitimate hierarchy laid down in the Scripture. And I want to emphasize that that's a good thing to have uh, to submit to hierarchy, to want order. Uh, we want that. That's Christian. But here's here's where I think the departure is. This is where I deviate from this. If you read Romans thirteen, okay. Um, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. 
Do you want to have no fear of authority? Well, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then it it continues on. Now, this is obviously comes after Romans 12. What's the beginning of Romans 12? Glad you asked, because that sets the context for Romans 13. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. Um, and then skipping down to verse um, 21, the end of the chapter, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Paul, for 11 chapters, talks theology, right? And then 12 is more the application. That's how a lot of people divide Romans up and a number of other Pauline letters. Um, the context is set in verse 12, though. This is, the, this is how this whole uh, being a living sacrifice works itself out. Where Let's get specific. Let's make some application, right? So that's what's going on by the time you get to 13. 13, look, here's part of being a living sacrifice when it comes to your relationship with the state. And the description is uh, a state that what? Looks like the Roman Empire? No, it, it doesn't look like what this speaker... Th this is where I think there's a deviation. What this speaker is describing is this horrible place, right? And you hear this often. Uh, in fact, he doesn't say this, but I'll just say a lot of people will say, well, look, they're submitting to Nero. Nero burned Christians, so we have to submit to someone who would burn Christians. Now, Nero's... Th that persecution... Um, it seems like, at least, if you pick the uh, earlier date for Romans, that was not happening yet. Um, in fact, there's really, I don't think there's even a controversy with anyone that that's, that wasn't happening, to my knowledge. But um, he, here's the thing about that, though. When you it, it, put that on the, the shelf for a minute, his, the history issue here, there, look at the text itself. What is it, how does it describe the governing authorities? Okay, they're established by God, number one. So it's it's derived authority. It's not their own authority. They're not acting on their own. They're established by God. Uh, the, what else does it say about them? Um, it says that they're not a cause for fear for good behavior. So then, in other words, the government Paul's talking about is not a government that punishes people who do good, the right thing. Hmm. Okay. Um, it is a minister of God to you for good. Huh. So they're, they're, they're a force for good. Um it it actually punishes evil, does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So it's going to punish evil people. It's got a working moral compass. And this is why you pay taxes, it says. Because why? Because rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. All right, so this is a government that has a working moral compass and is applying, rightly, in general at least, the law of God. And... In order to be a living sacrifice, and you should not be practicing evil. And if you do practice evil, you're going to run into a problem with the avenger. The, the diakonos, even the word for deacons even used here. Um, you're going to run into the avenger that is going to punish you for evil. So does this describe the Roman Empire? Does this describe the Roman Empire? Um, no, I don't think it describes uh, the, at least the Roman Empire in the sense of the Roman Empire practicing evil things that deviate from the law of God. How does it reflect the Roman Empire? Well, it reflects maybe the Roman Empire or ministers in the Roman Empire. Remember, there were local jurisdictions. There's all kinds of rulers. It's not just a one-size-fits-all modern state Roman Empire. We think of that today because we're so used to a modern state, but there would have been localities. There would have been all sorts of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of people that it takes to run an empire, but there's also local authorities. And this is kind of a blanket. This is like a one-size-fits-all principle here in Romans 13. This isn't specifically talking about Rome. This is talking about government as such. And more than that, the context really isn't about government. This isn't a passage that's about uh, political um, theory. 
uh, we, we see a window into it, but that's not the primary purpose of the passage. The purpose of the passage is personal jurisdiction. It's not actually the jurisdiction of the state. The, the purpose of the passage is instructing Christians on how they are to behave. And you should be submitting to the authorities that are put there by God to punish evil. That's it. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about, um, you know, well, they're going to persecute Christians or something like that, or they're, uh, they're, they're doing evil things. Submit to the evil. Obviously not. <laughs> it's only talking about government in its capacity. And this could apply to Rome, but this could apply to any government. It's talking about government in its capacity to punish evil. All right. So I, I think to me, this is kind of obvious. I, I don't know why there's such a struggle over this exactly, but there really is. Uh, the, it seems like the majority of preachers I listen to on the subject, like I said, they want to go down this path of like, we need to submit to evil governments. Well, in their capacity, may, maybe in, in because look, even governments, even today, right? As, as bad as you may think things are out there, there's still punishments for stealing. There's still punishments for murder, right? There's still... The government, especially on the local level, is still functioning, even if there's corruption and all sorts of bad things. If you go murder someone, if you go steal, if you go even breaking the speed limit, right, um, uh, malum prohibitum, right, things that aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves, but they're made, uh, they're, they're laws that are made to um, protect human life. They're, there's a principle behind them. Uh, if you go and do these things, the government's going to punish you. As corrupt and as bad as they are, they're still going to punish you for those things. Don't give them an opportunity to do that. That's what it's saying. Be a living sacrifice. You can give up rebelling against the government in its capacity. Basically, it's saying give up doing evil that the government could punish you for. That's Romans 13. That's what it's instructing. So um, it's not a statement about Whatever the Roman Empire does, whatever tyranny it does, you can't say anything. You can't stop it. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying in their capacity to do to punish evil, you better not be punished for evil um, by the government. So um, let's keep going here, though, because he makes a comparison now that I just think this needs to be answered. The Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone here, the Capitol Hill occupied property. But, uh, you know, people from the left didn't like how our federal government responded to social justice things, so they occupied a few city blocks and declared their independence. You know, we're, we're, we're autonomous. We don't have to submit to you any longer because we don't like how you deal with social justice issues. On the right, here we have a picture of people storming the Capitol January 6th because they didn't like the elections. You know, it, it, we were cheated. It didn't come out right. We don't want you to follow through with this. So, uh, we're not just here for a protest, we're going to storm the Capitol. And I have a little copy of headline there from uh, Metro News. You see Derek Evans resigns from the West Virginia House. All right, let me make a few. I could probably say a lot on this, and this is kind of off the top of my head, so I'm not sure if this will be as exhaustive as I want. But let me just give you a few differences between those two things. The autonomous zone, right? Um, there's, there was, it was very intentional, right? It wasn't spontaneous like January 6th and what happened on January 6th um, in regards to what was planned on January 6th was a rally for election integrity. And that rally did happen. That rally did happen. I was there uh, for the rally. Um, what happened inside the Capitol, and I was not there for that, um, but what did happen inside was, was spontaneous. And... I've gone over, I mean, from what I saw with my own eyes that day, some things that still haven't been reported anywhere that I know of, but I remember seeing stuff. Um, I think that was very engineered. Um, it was certainly not planned to be an insurrection. Not really. No one brings, no one brings a firearm, right? Um, they're the only person who, who dies in the actual, uh, in the actual events of that day is someone who's shot who's unarmed by a Capitol policeman. And, and I know, I know, every, I've, trust me, I followed it. I know what the MSNBC stay, saying about all these traumatized police officers and this, and I'm not, <laughs> I know what I saw. I know I, I did a lot of research on it after uh, the, what, what happened. Cause I really just wanted to find out more about it and I, I'm just not buying it, but that's a key difference between the two. One is very intentional and very um, revolutionary. And, and against the uh, established order. 
Um, the other one is spontaneous and 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 he shouldn't say just january 6th and the people went up there to storm the capitol that's terribly inaccurate people went up there to protest for election integrity to rally and then um spontaneously uh not a, a minority of the crowd a couple hundred maybe there was i mean i felt like there was about a million people there it was huge and a couple hundred maybe got in the capitol in some instances, police officers inviting them in. Um, I have the video, even though it was banned on a lot of different social media platforms. I still have it on my hard drive. Uh, this, what what happened was they're not equivalent. And so to just say January 6th, that was the intention. That's not the intention. Uh, there there was an element in the crowd that did do go inside. And, and there were some of them that did some, some bad things inside. They went, uh, one person stole a laptop. One person was kicking his feet up on, I think, Nancy Pelosi's desk. Um, someone else took a lectern, you know. There, there was some stuff like that that was going on. It wasn't right. Uh, damaging windows, these kinds of things. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, that is so different. It's <laughs> so different. Uh, the, the motive and the nature of it are so different than what happened in uh, Chaz in Seattle. Uh, the, the CHOP zone or the Chaz zone, um, not only intentional, not only premeditated, not only, um, you know, is this y- y- stated intentions were out there. This was something that the, the motive was revolutionary. January 6th, the motive was anti-revolutionary. And I've made this point, point several times. The revolution happened if you want to say there was a revolution on the 7th at three in the morning, that's when the revolution happened. And if you've been following, if you followed what happened after the election closely, then the people who were there, myself being one of them, were there because we believed a revolution was happening right then, that elections uh, were not fair anymore. And not just not fair, they were, it was illegal illegal stuff happened in many of the states and the wrong person was being um well was being approved to be the president and i was up there to prevent a revolution from happening it's much different than so so one is in favor of a revolution starting a revolution the other one is preventing a revolution trying to stop a revolution very very different motives um, so I, those are two differences that I just want to point out off the top. Uh, I hear conservatives now, I, I think because of the drumbeat from liberal propaganda out there in the media, um, they're, they're constantly, uh, trying to make an a, equivalency between what happened on January 6th and then what happened all summer of last year. And there, there's some very key differences between the two. And so I'm not defending what happened, the excesses of January 6th. I'm just saying that you're, you are talking about two different things. They're not the same thing. And they weren't just up there because they didn't like the way the election went. They're up there because they did like the way the election went and they didn't want it overturned. All right, let's, um, let's keep going here. House of Delegates, one of our delegates elected, the West Virginia House of Delegates had to resign. He's currently undergoing federal prosecution because... He was one that stormed the Capitol. By the way, he ran as a conservative Christian candidate. So one of ours in that sense, uh, and he was arrested for storming the Capitol and had to resign. Um, we get into this mask stuff, and uh, you know, I don't know if you can read that or not. Uh, you know, the, the, and the, all of these, the, these next couple of slides I got off of social media, all from people who would self-identify as conservative Christians. So this is our group that I'm pulling these things from. Uh, you see the not wearing a mask because my family and I are at risk. And then the response, your obedience to a corrupt government run by psychopaths and a corrupt media that covers, the, that covers them puts me and my family at risk. So, so, you know, not getting into the mask mandate here but the, or the, the controversy surrounding that, but the idea here is we shouldn't be obedient. Why not get into the mask mandate? That would be a perfect opportunity to try to apply the principles that he's talking about here from Romans 13. Let's talk about the mask mandate. So I don't know, but, but here's the thing. He, he brings up these, these memes and 
his point here is that you know this this is basically wrong. This is these are conservative Christians and, and they're wrong to uh, deviate on the mask issue. And I think the key. I, I, I'm not necessarily saying I would put a meme like this out, but what I'm, I think the the point of this meme is basically like, look, it's my responsibility to look after my family. And if I'm I'm doing my homework, if the government is saying to do one thing, and that's something that I've determined for my family and for myself, this is not a helpful thing. I'm not going to do it. I have that right. That's my responsibility. And I th- that's really the, the tug of war that's going on right now. Who gets to determine whether or not you get a, a jab or you put on a mask? Do we make personal responsibility? Do we have our own risk, assess- uh, risk assessment as adults? Can we not do this? Or is it up to the government now to mandate every area of our lives, pretty much? And so this, I, I think this is something that as Christians, we should be able to say, uh, even based on what we just read in Romans 13, uh, the government's jurisdiction is supposed to be uh, punishing evil that happens. Evil according to whom? Evil according to God. Where do we find out what God thinks is evil and punishable in the civil realm? Well, we have a whole Old Testament on that. And yeah, it takes some uh, due diligence to study out those things and to figure out, okay, what applies, what was specific to Israel and ceremonial uh, law, and then what what kinds of principles uh, apply to um, what would apply to all governments. But I, I think you can do that. Um, this this idea that the government though can just kind of say whatever, do whatever it wants, tell anyone what whatever whatever it wants, and people are just required to do it. You know the pinwheel thing, right? <laughs> Someone said recently, a Christian commentator that you know if the government says to a pinwheel on my head and, and, you know, I would do it and stuff. And it's like, why, why, you know, you're just basically what you're doing at that point is you're just giving them the authority to have a blank check and you look foolish in the process They're, They have a purpose. Um, we're also supposed to submit to church leaders and wives are supposed to submit to husbands and children to parents, slaves to masters. You could maybe carry that out to the employee employer thing, but there's, there's boundaries to those things. There, there are limitations. And so um, that that's the effort of a meme like this, to say, look, there's a limitation here. I get to determine what's good for my family. And yeah, you can, look, you can do, if you want to do this for your family, but my opinion is you're following a corrupt government <laughs> run by corrupt me and corrupt media. And I, I don't agree with them. And I, there shouldn't be a big controversy about this. I wouldn't think. But apparently there is, because this is somehow a violation of Romans 13. It's disrespectful to paint the government that way. Well, I don't, what, what, the government's evil. I guess, I, I wouldn't say psychopaths. I would say they're evil. The, the, and, and I'm not saying that every government official is. I don't think this guy is. But I'm just saying, like, the mandates that are coming out, the people that are making the decisions on health right now, I'm convinced are evil. Dr. Fauci being the number one in my mind. All right, let's keep going to a government that decrees something that we just don't like. Um, Rand Paul, U.S. Senator you're probably all familiar with, like a lot of things he stands for, disagree with him on some things, but his attitude was they can't arrest all of us. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. That's a prevailing attitude. This is something I, I found yesterday. Okay, here's the thing, though. He's not, this is not just personal preference. He's acting like, well, we just don't like it. It's not just that we don't like to wear a mask or get a jab or something. It's a jurisdictional question. If your pastor, it's like if your pastor came over and wanted to discipline your kids or something. It's like, we're supposed to submit to you, but that's not your job. That's not the function you have. Um, Get in your own lane, right? So that's the disagreement. It's the overstepping of boundaries. It's the doing things illegally without legislation. It's, it's, um, and, and when Rand Paul said that, He's saying, like, look, they don't have the authority to do this. If we act like they do, then we create a precedent moving forward that they can do this. Let's not give them that power. Let's not create this precedent. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that is the right thing to do. But this gentleman is acting like, no, that's that's actually uh, in violation of Romans 13 somehow. It's not in violation of Romans 13. 
the Romans 13, again, it only applies to people who would be punished by the government for doing something evil. Government's punishing evil. If it's not evil, then Roman, it doesn't, Romans 13 is not talking about that. I added a slide yesterday. I caused problems for our technology guy because I added a slide. I found this yesterday. This was posted by a conservative Republican on the West Virginia House of Delegates. I'm not going to name his name, but it was in his social media. He posted this picture. When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. You know, it's 1776 there in the middle, and it looks patriotic. That may be patriotic. I think that's a paraphrase, if I'm not mistaken, of a Thomas Jefferson quote. When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. Samuel Rutherford, though, I believe, said something very similar in Lex Rex to this. Um, yeah, so when... <laughs> I, I don't know why this is actually that controversial. If there's a tyrant, if there's someone who's uh, going beyond their scope of authority, someone who's a usurper, uh, someone who's um, making war, in the case we'll take the American Revolution, you know, making war on the, his own citizens... then uh, in order to protect the ones you love, in order to, um, uh, to, to actually carry out your responsibilities, you have to, you have to, to rebel against them or to uh, at least say no, say stop, resist. So I mean, maybe it's the word rebel he's not liking here. Um, resist maybe would be a better word. Uh, but it's not rebellion to proper authority that this quote is getting at. It's actually in, at least where I've seen this used before, uh, it, it's, I think, people who actually want to submit to the Constitution and to the rule of law. It's people who want proper authority, and they're going to rebel against improper authority. That's why it's tyranny they're rebelling against. Uh, so th that distinction has to be made. It, it, I, this person who's arguing these things here would it just it would give a blank check there's only the only and you'll find out later actually that the only thing he says that basically a christian can uh use to resist the government or to disobey is if they ask you to sin basically right um but the thing is that's not even biblical like daniel right praying three times a day uh did he have to open his window and do it three times a day did god really say that it was god's law that he had to do that three times a day and open his window no no it wasn't he could have closed the window and he would have had no problem, right? But he decided to be brazen about it. That was not something that that was, uh, again, uh, that was, he, he could have obeyed God, kept God's commandments. The government, you know, w wouldn't have known and it would have been fine. But he decided to push it. He decided to uh, make an example of himself and be a public uh, I guess in his mind, um, publicly display his love for the Lord. And um, there's going to be a lot of situations. I think they're already coming up in some places where you have to make a decision for you and your family. Um, are you going to, you know, if, if it comes to it and you're required to get this jab and you, you're convinced this is not wise, this is actually wrong, this is, is going to hurt me. If that's your position, if you really believe that, what do you do? Well, you, you do the right thing. You don't take it. You don't subject it, uh, your family to it. Um, if the government comes in and says, you know, and this has been talked about, right? We're going to take your guns. And these are tools you need to defend your family. What do you do? What do you do? Do you, do you just say volunteer? Here they are. Or do you try to, are, are you going to live in rebellion? I mean, look, you, you, the status quo doesn't even have to change in your house. You, if you have guns and you're leaving them there and the law changes or, or an edict, more likely an executive order happens, and nothing happened on your end, but now you are in violation of it. You are in a state of rebellion in the minds of uh, our overlords. Then um, do you just continue on or do you go and turn yourself in or to turn your, your guns in? Uh, it wouldn't be wrong for you to, to just hold on to them and not do anything about it. If you really believe this, these are tools you need to protect your family, to carry out the responsibilities God's given you. It's not like the government's asking you to sin. It's not a sin, right, to to go in and, and turn them in. But again, it's about jurisdiction. We got to think in those terms. I, and I, I, I can't help but bringing this up over and over and over. We are told in Scripture to submit to all kinds of different hierarchies, depending on our position. 
And it doesn't mean that the person over you has a blank check. It's within the lane that God has given them and no farther. So anyway, there, there's really nothing wrong with this. If you put, if you read it probably with the, the intent of the person who posted it, uh, but either a bad spin is being put on this or this speaker wants to just give the government somewhat of a blank check. That may be American, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. We are not called as Christians to lead the revolution politically. We are called to obedience with respect to our government. What about to prevent a revolution? No, they, they will call that revolution. I mean, by this logic, 1776 was bad. That it should have never happened. Even though that was a conservative, it was an effort. It was a conservative effort, but it was an effort against revolution in their minds. This was in support of Britain's unwritten constitution. It was in support of the status quo that had been there before and the consolidation of parliamentary um, power and then the king not defending the rights of the citizens in the United States. Uh, and then, of course, you go through the Declaration of Independence and you can see everything there. Go through the Fairfax resolves, go through the you know Olive Branch petition. Look at all those documents and you'll find this was a thought out process this was and it was a process and this was an acknowledgement it, it's kind of like this it's kind of like when you have a friend right and your friend and you aren't getting along and um you <laughs> we've all been through this before or at least someone we know has your friend um is acting like treating you like you're not even a friend anymore they've just cut you off they're being mean to you when they do see you and if you decide, let's say, that you are going to um, take them off an invitation list for your birthday party or take them off, you know, your Christmas card list or uh, you're going to um, you're not going to, you know, hang out with them anymore, whatever the case is. Um, you're not the one that broke the friendship. I think oftentimes people feel that way, right? Like, well, I broke the friendship. I, I, I'm the one, I, I don't want to, I, I, I mean, I've, I'll see people hang on to abusive relationships forever because they don't want to be the one to break it off. Instead of acknowledging the relationship's already gone, breaking it off is actually just acknowledging where the relationship is and it's non-existent. There isn't one. Uh, you're not acting like friends. You're not friends. <laughs> There's enough time goes by and someone's very mean and doesn't act like a friend to you, you're not breaking it off by not treating them like a friend back. You're just acknowledging where the relationship is. And so it's the same kind of thing on a much grander scale. But when, uh, when, when the colonies broke off from Great Britain and seceded, it was an acknowledgement of the relationship that was already there. You're not treating us like citizens. In fact, you're making war on us, <laughs> jailing legislatures. Um, your, you know, taxation without representation. Uh, there, I mean, there's a number of items in the Declaration of Independence. And it's, it's basically, it's a letter like you would write to a friend if you were going to do it and say, look, here's all the things I'm seeing. You're not my friend anymore because of the way you're treating me. And I'm just acknowledging this. So anyway, I've waxed long about it. I probably am spending too much time. But the point I want to make is um, that's not rebellion. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe the terms rebels were used, maybe uh, the term uh, revolution was used, but honestly, the, the real revolution wasn't the colonies. It, it, they were, if anything, they were trying to prevent uh, what they would have seen as more revolutionary. So um, that's a question that needs to be asked. Who's actually being faithful? Uh, and remember, they all had local jurisdictions. They had committees of correspondence. They had, uh, in some places, they had their state governments and assemblies and, you know, who do you submit to? Your local assembly? Your, who's got the legitimate authority? Let me ask you this one. Who's got the legitimate authority in Afghanistan? You're in Afghanistan, right? And the U.S. pulls out and the Taliban comes in. That The day they come in, at what point are you, well, uh, I guess I shouldn't leave now. I shouldn't go to the airport because I'm trying to avoid the Taliban when I'm getting there. And, and Romans 13 says, you know, I need to be in submission to the... Do, do you see how how, how terrible this rendering of Romans 13 gets, we've had the luxury in the United States of not having to think through some of these things. And we're going to have to get over that. We have to think through some of these things. 
you have to start considering things like what happened in the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and China. And you have to start trying to put yourself in the, the shoes of someone in Cuba. Um, and, and, you know, when Fidel Castro came to power, what, what do you submit to and what do you not submit to? It's more, it's a little more complicated than this individual is trying to make it. Uh, let's go on. I don't want to go on a whole lot farther. Called to subjection, even to a government that we may disagree with. And, uh, and usually, to, a lot of times when we talk about Romans 13, people want to go, well, what's the exception to that? We talk about the exception, and we forget the rule. And there is a little bit, I'm not sure if, a, if exception is the right term or not, but there is a caveat at least to it. Uh, but, you know, when we're forced to choose between obeying government and obeying God, we always obey God, right? I mean, we know that. You all know that. Um, you know, in Acts, you know, the apostles are beaten, arrested, so you're not supposed to preach anymore. And Peter says we've got to obey God rather than man. The, uh, the Hebrew midwives commanded to kill the babies, kill all the Egyptian ba male babies. They didn't do it. We're blessed because they didn't do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down when they were ordered to do so. Uh, so not, no, no dispute. When government commands us to violate God's word, we're to follow God, not man. I would argue, though, that and, and, and I would argue, though, that that's not necessarily not being subject to or not being submission to the government, because a lot of times, if you submit to God, you're going to end up suffering the wrath of government. The apostles did that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When when Nebuchadnezzar commands, gives them another chance, and commands them to bow down. And their response, as you all know, is, hey, we don't know whether we're going to burn up or not. we got every reason to believe you're going to throw us in the fire and we're going to get burned up. We're not going to do it anyway. But I would argue they were still subjecting themselves to that government because they were being thrown in the furnace and, and they were going to suffer the consequences. So as believers, uh, and you know, unfortunately, I see in our lifetime, there's going to, we, we have, let me back up, we have tremendous blessings that we should be thankful for in this country for our religious liberty. We may well face a time when we don't enjoy that blessing any longer. I pray that we don't experience that, but you don't have to imagine too hard to see that coming down the road. And we have to know how we're to respond to that. And, and leading the revolution is not the biblical response to that. Um, in, uh, you know, I, guess, I guess I would say ironically, but you know, nothing's ironic. Uh, sovereignly, I guess, is a better way of saying that. Uh, in my Sunday school class that I teach at Spring Hill for young adults, it just so happened to be going through First uh, Peter, and uh, and we get to First Peter two thirteen in the passage following that uh, this week. And if you're not familiar with that, that that's a passage almost identical to Romans thirteen one, where where uh, Peter is telling them that they should be subject to government, um, uh, and and he goes on in verse fifteen, First Peter two fifteen, and talks about that by our response to a government. Uh, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Our, our response, and he goes on after that and he talks to slaves, and he's in the, in the same line of reasoning, he says, slaves, be subject to your masters. And then he goes on and says, especially when they treat you really badly. Especially when they treat you really badly. So when you put all those stuff together, uh, as Christians, our, our response to a government that treats us wrongly isn't revolution. It is to meekly submit and face the consequences of obedience to God. And let that be our witness and testimony uh, to, to the world that's around us. So, so I went from talking to preaching there a little bit. So that's, so that's, that's be subject. We, and we've forgotten that in our society. But be thankful. Be subject. In our, in our, in our movement, I'm concerned that we're losing sight of the fact that we, we're still to be subject uh, even to governments we may disagree with. So, so moving on from there. So we're to be thankful. We're to be subject to. Uh, and next, I would encourage you to be involved. And All right, we're going to cut it there. It's, it's wrapping up at this point anyway. Um, put yourself in this situation. David and Absalom. Absalom usurps the throne. You live in Jerusalem. Who do you submit to? Absalom, let's say, isn't telling you to do anything that's sinful. Uh, you can still worship God the way that you want to worship God. Um, so do you submit to Absalom? Do you, uh, in so doing, um, make it out 
to, to those around you, set an example that shows that you view his authority as legitimate, or are you faithful to the rightful king in that situation? Kind of like the King Richard, you know, Prince John situation. Is it King Richard that holds your allegiance, the rightful king, or is it the usurper who comes in? These are questions that this simplistic kind of uh, take on Romans 13, it, it just gives you answers uh, that would lead you to believe that whoever's in power and has has um, has the might uh, is the one that's the legitimate authority. And that's just not the case. Um, government as such, government in and of itself, uh, is put here to punish evil, and you should not be in trouble with the government for doing something evil. That's Romans 13. It's not telling you um, that you must submit to Absalom, uh, even though he's not, you know, not legitimate government. Uh, you can still be faithful to David. You could be in a situation of war. You could be, uh, your allegiance could be to another um, legitimate authority, and there could be a struggle going on. And revolution, see, here's the thing about, you think of the French Revolution, when the term revolutionary comes up. Uh, the casting off of order, the trying to um, put, put, uh, put in place a new order. Um, but it's, the key is that there isn't really a legitimate authority behind it. There, there's mob rule. There's, I mean, all, someone's always going to be in charge, but it's usually some kind of tyrant rises to power in those situations. Uh, we've all, in the American, in the, in the English context especially, we, we really thought of authority as being kind of comprised in the people, especially since the Magna Carta, that people, um, that, that there is an obligation that, uh, or a covenant that the people have with their governing authorities. This is why often in the Old Testament, even, you see um, people are punished for public sins of rulers. Rulers do something publicly, they sin, and then the people get punished for it. And so there, there is something like that does exist. And I, I don't have time to delve into all of it right now, but there is, it is more complicated than that. And the questions that are arising right now are questions about what's legitimate authority. Can they do that? Is that overstepping their bounds? Do, what about my state? My state isn't going along with that. Who do I submit to in this circumstance? Uh, it's not just, well, whoever's got the most power uh, to exert themselves and, um, and punish people who would disagree, they're the ones that we got to follow. No, that's not what Romans 13 is about. The submission is a very, it's a very specific submission. Don't break the don't break laws that God him that God would agree with laws that are put there to punish immorality. Don't break those laws, and you won't have fear if you're if you're going doing the right thing. Then you're not going to have fear. Um, so you may have fear from an illegitimate government, or you may have fear if your your allegiance is to another government, or if you're in a state of war with a government, or uh, if you know, they view you as a threat for whatever reason to their authority, especially in the context now where the, so many people look to the government as if it's God and we have a state religion that's forming uh, right before our eyes, um, that, that is in competition with Christianity. That's a way overstepping of the boundaries that should be given to government. Those are the questions. That's the area we should be diving into. That's the area Christians should be exploring right now. But instead, we get messages like this, and it, it is—it does bother me. I'll be honest; it really does bother me, because I don't know if it's lazy. I don't know if it's um, just—I don't—I don't even know how to put words to what I'm thinking right now. I—I I don't know if it's force of habit over years of teaching this kind of thing, and and but something's got to come along that's so shocking and is so so eventually something's got to like really prod people even like this to think wait a minute i gotta rethink this whole thing <laughs> i gotta rethink this uh because i don't even know what someone like that does when if they're in the state of west virginia and west virginia says no and the federal the national government says yes and uh now the the national government's going to be sending uh, troops in or trying to federalize the National Guard and West Virginia says no. And like, what do you do in that circumstance? What do you, who do you, whose side are you on? Uh, do you, who do you submit to? Um, Romans 13 isn't going to answer questions like that. And it, what, and it's not meant to, it's not meant to. All right. So uh, that was kind of stream of consciousness there, I guess, but I hope that helped. Uh, the, the person who uh, reached out to me and wanted me to comment on it. And I hope it helps some of you 
uh, who were along for the ride and wanted to hear about that. Uh, more coming later this week. Uh, like I said, I got uh, a backlog of a lot of things that um, we need to cover, and uh, and we will cover them. But uh, stay tuned. Look look out for um, Christianity and social justice, religions and conflict. It's coming out soon. And don't forget, if you are in the Syracuse, Indiana area, Syracuse Baptist Church, October 23rd, I will be there. God bless, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.